Hey, good evening, everyone. Hey, if you have a Bible with you, uh, go ahead and grab it right now. Go to Exodus chapter 20. That's the second book of the Bible, 20th chapter. That's where we'll be tonight. I want to welcome you if you're listening online right now. We love you. We see you. We know not all of you are able to be with us right now. Uh, and so we have not forgotten about you. We're glad you tuned in tonight. Glad you joined us here for our Thursday night service. We're looking forward to the day when you get to gather with us here in this place. Uh, and then for the rest of us here, um, as we dive into this evening, evening. Again, I want you to have your Bible open to Exodus 20. And again, you've heard this before, uh, but if you want to get the slides for tonight, especially if you're sitting way up there or kind of further back, can't see the screens, uh, just go to calvarywestlake.org slash words. That's calvarywestlake.org slash words. Uh, and you can have that on your phone. You can walk through the slides uh, and the teaching with us tonight. So uh, as we jump in tonight to a brand new teaching series, uh, I have invited one of our band members um, to stay up here. Uh, you often get to know and, and hear from some of the folks on the front line here, uh, but then we have these incredibly talented musicians in the back, and so I want to introduce you, if you don't know him, to Jared. Everyone say hi, Jared. Uh, yes, wow, yeah. Uh, Jared, we're, we're glad you're here, and let, let me ask this question. So, so Jared's on the keys. Am I even saying that right, keys? Keys, sure. piano? Yeah. Piano? Keys, piano, pads? Keys. I, I never know what it is, but let me ask this. Yeah, raise your hand here if you play keys, piano, anything of the sort. Okay, don't raise them high. Be proud. Be proud of that. That's impressive. Okay, raise your hand if there's you do not play the piano, keys, anything like that. Okay, okay, that's most of you. That's most of you. Uh, Jared, I, I want you to do something for me here. Why don't you yeah. play the keys as if you were one of the people who just raised their hand, who have never played piano before in your life. Make some noise for us. Um, go ahead, play right now. So I'm going to ask Jared to do this. Go. Now make, make it a lot worse. Like, like, like I was, oh, okay, there, that right, right there in my soul. Okay, keep going, keep going. Pretend you're my two-year-old playing. Well, okay, all right, all right. We're going to have you stop. We're going to have you stop. That, that, was, that was something. That was something right there. So if you've never played piano and you were trying to make something beautiful, you would probably do something similar to that. But here's what Jared knows, and, and you don't know this about Jared if you don't know him well. Jared's not just a guy who's back there playing the keys. He's someone who knows music theory. He's someone who thinks about music. You teach music to people, right? Uh, so let's do this. Let's give a little lesson to everyone tonight. What is one rule of music we all need to know if we know nothing about music? Certain notes go together. Certain notes go together. Write that one down. Certain notes go together. That's rule number one. Yeah, okay, that's good. That's good. Thank you. Thank you right there. And then just, just like for a bonus thing, give everyone a second rule tonight. So beats are in four. Like we count one, two, three, four, and that's how music oh, goes. And we were dancing a little. Wow, we this dancing. is getting Sorry. exciting here at Young Adults on crazy. Thursday night. So, so let's do this. In, in light of the rules, and, and I'm sure there's more rules than that. Music theory has all these rules. A in light more. of those rules, go ahead and play us something not that like someone like me would play, but something that you would play. Just lay it on us right now. Just... Yeah. That's beautiful. Keep it rolling. Show off a little. Oh, oh. <laughs> Can we give it up for Jared? <laughs> That's all, Jared. Thank you. Here's what I need you to see, and here's what's so obvious from this silly little illustration. Everything, everyone knows this about music. Um, whether you play music or not, here's what you know. There are certain rules that kind of govern music, right? Like there's a difference between noise and music. And the difference between noise that you heard in the first little bit and music that you heard in the second little bit is that that noise is given rules. And those rules govern the noise and create something called music. 
And here's what I want to suggest as we jump into a new teaching series tonight. In the same way that there are rules that govern whether something is noise or music, I want you to know that, this, that there are rules that govern whether your life is chaotic or ordered. In the same way that there are rules that govern whether something is just noise or music, there are rules that govern whether your life is ruinous or whether it is in rhythm, whether it is chaotic or whether it is ordered. I want to speak to us on this tonight because I believe with all my heart we're in this season right now where everything feels chaotic. Your life, I am going to guess, at times in the last few months, and certainly as we go into this fall, is going to feel or has felt chaotic. And here's what every one of us knows here. Like if you've not absorbed this truth or like breathed it in, you have no control over when this nonsense ends, okay? You have no control over when this is all over. We get to go back to life. You have no control over when we're going to ask you to take off the stupid mask or go back inside where it's comfortable. We have no control over that. And yet, one of the things I'm convinced of is this, that if you would understand the rules, if you would understand what God has to say, if you would understand what the Bible teaches, you can actually make the decision to step into a life that is ordered rather than chaotic, a life that is filled with rhythm rather than filled with ruin. Your life can be music rather than just be noise. And so for the next seven weeks here, we're just going to talk about those rhythms. We're going to talk about that order that you can put into your life so that your life in the midst of the chaos that's going on in our world, in our culture, in our nation, in our pandemic, in our world, all of the chaos, all of the noise, I believe your life can be ordered. And so we're just going to jump right into these topics um, over the next seven weeks, focus on each of them. And here's my hope. My hope is that you'll receive the invitation to live into a life that is not ruinous, but rather filled with rhythm. That's not chaotic, but rather filled with order. And here's the first one I want to talk about tonight. This is going to be the subject of the whole night. There's like, if we're talking about the rules that govern whether your life is chaotic, here's rule number one. You need to cease working for one whole day every single week. This is the number one rule. You need to cease working. You need to stop working for one day every single week for the rest of your life. And that's what I want to show you tonight in the scriptures. I want to talk about what the scriptures have to say about rest, about Sabbath, about, Sabbath, about rhythm, about ruin. I want you to see this here in Exodus 20. Again, if you have your Bible, it'll be on the screens or, of course, on calvarywestlake.org slash words. Here's what it says in Exodus chapter 20. We'll start in verse 8. This is in the context of the Ten Commandments that God has given to the people of Israel. He says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. So there's a command here in Exodus 20, and the command is to remember the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day, we're going to see it described here. We're going to see what God commands his people in the Old Testament to do. But what I want to begin with is a simple observation, and that simple observation is that when we read the Old Testament, we need to be careful that we are not imposing rules that were given to a different group of people in a different context to us. Here's what I mean by this. When you read the book of Exodus, what you are reading is the Mosaic covenant, the covenant given to the people of Moses who were brought out of Egypt to a particular people for a particular time for a particular season. And what I mean by this is this. You will make a grave error in interpreting the Bible if you go to every Old Testament command or just random Old Testament commands and decide that they apply equally to us today as they did to the people then. Here's what I want you to know. I'm going to talk about Sabbath. I'm going to talk about rest, but I'm going to talk about it tonight, not in terms of a commandment that is binding to you in the way it is put here, but rather in terms of the wisdom of God given to us through the scriptures. Let me explain. When we go to a commandment in the Bible, like remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, 
The question we should ask when we're looking at the Old Testament commands isn't, what does it say and therefore what should I do? The question we should ask is, who was this command given to? What is the context of the covenant of this command, meaning the covenant the people of God were under at this time? And most importantly is this question, what does this tell me about God? So in other words, all throughout the Old Testament, you, you ever seen those ceremonial laws where they're like, this is how you have to wash and this is how you have to be prepared and this is how you have to like come before God? We don't do that here, right? Like you didn't roll in tonight and like kill a bird on an altar and then you're like, I'm here. That didn't occur. Why didn't it occur? Because that was a particular covenant for a particular people at a particular time. But what we should ask is, what does that tell us about God? What, is the, what do the sacrifices in the Old Testament tell us about God? Here's what they tell us. They tell us that God is holy. And in order to approach God, you need to deal with the sin issue in your life before you can approach him. And what we see in shadow with the covenant uh, in the Old Testament uh, of the, the sacrifices at the altar, we see in the substance of Jesus. There's Old Testament laws uh, about different things like, um, like uh, uh, the ceremonial law, justice laws, right? Like there's Old Testament laws that basically say like every seven years uh, you should sell a bunch of stuff and let people uh, out of their contracts and allow people. You know, like there's all that kind of stuff. And, and here's what I'm going to say. I don't believe that's binding on us, but I believe it tells us something about our God. And what it tells us is we have a God who cares about the poor, who cares about the marginalized, who cares about the economically disadvantaged. And so here's what we see. We come to Exodus 20, verse 8, and it says, Remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. My conviction is that Christians are not under the same biblical command to follow the Sabbath as it's described in Exodus 20. But you would make a mistake if you thought, therefore, we don't need to look at this. That would be a mistake. And the mistake is because the idea of Sabbath, the idea of rest, did not begin in the covenant given to the people of God at Mount Sinai in the Old Testament. If you know your Bible, what you'll know is that the idea of Sabbath doesn't begin in the book of Exodus. It begins in the book of Genesis. If you remember all the way back to the first chapters of the Bible, God creates the entire world in six days. And then it tells us this. It tells us that on the seventh day, God rested. So in other words, the point of the Sabbath command here isn't just one more commandment to layer onto your life. It's that we would say, what does this tell us about God? And because it tells us something about God, it's going to tell us something about our lives as creatures created in God's image. And here's what I put to you tonight, that God's rest on the seventh day creates a rhythm for human beings, a rhythm for your life. When we look at a God who creates the world in six days and then for some reason chooses to rest on the seventh, what we understand is that God has created a rhythm for our lives. And so here's my point in saying all of this in this first little passage. The primary thing I want you to walk with tonight is not, there's this command, and if I don't obey it right, God won't love me, and if I don't obey it right, God's going to punish me. No, what I want you to see is that God has woven this idea of one day of rest per week into the fabric of the universe. And if you don't get this, if you won't absorb this, if you won't think about what it means for you to have one day of rest, if you won't think about what it means for you to have a rhythm of rest in your life, I promise it will lead to your ruin. I promise you will not last long. It will destroy you. It will own you. It will harm you. And, and so here's how it continues. I want you to see this uh, in verse 9. He says, six days, this is God speaking, six days you shall labor and do all of your work. So again, six days you shall labor, you're doing all of your work. And here's how I want us to understand our work tonight. When I reference work, I'm referencing anything you do because you have to do it. So work might mean employment. You might be employed somewhere, it's a full-time job, it's a part-time job, that is your work. Raise your hand if you're in school right now, grad school or undergraduate. Okay, your work right now is school. 
It's the assignments you have. It's the reading you have to do. It's the papers you have to write. It's the tests you have to study for. It might be work you need to do around your home, work that you need to do to build something up or to take care of the backyard. It might be work you have to do to fix something going on in your home. It might be work you have to do to take care of people in your life. It might be paying bills, growing in your professional skills. There is work that is done And so tonight when I talk about work, I don't want you to just limit it to work you get paid for. I want you to understand that when the Bible talks about work, it is talking about all of the different kinds of effort we put in because we have to, because that is what we're obligated to do. But then I want you to look back at verse 9, if you've got it open in front of you. It says you're going to labor and do all of your work. And I think this is so interesting. It doesn't say you'll labor and do all of your work in five days. It says you'll labor and do all of your work in six days. And here's the thing I want us to recognize tonight. And I think this is an essential part of you getting the rhythm and routine of your life down. I want you to see that the biblical pattern is 6-1, not 5-2. The biblical pattern of your work and your rest is 6-1, not 5-2. And what can really quickly happen to you and me living in the 21st century, living in the culture we live in, is we can start to believe that the pattern is supposed to be five days of work and then two days of rest. But that's not actually how God designed the world. You may think the idea of doing five days of work and two days of rest is like the eternal thing of the world. But do you know how recently that came into existence? Like the idea of the five-day work week came into existence in 1940, okay? It's like 80 years old. In the the span of human history, it's nothing. But here's what happens to people like you and people like me. We start to believe that we're supposed to work five days a week and then have Saturday and Sunday off. We start to believe that you're only supposed to work a full-time job 40 hours a week because the United States government determined that that was so. And the United States government, of course, is famously known for never being wrong, right? Like you've decided that. Some of you have in your mind, I'll start working and I will retire at 65. Why? The government said so. None of those things are found in the Bible. And so here's my encouragement to you. Don't let culture, don't let America, don't let the 21st century Western world shape your view of work and rest. Let the Bible shape it. See, the Bible has this idea, not of 5-2, but of 6-1. Like in other words, the Bible envisions you working hard six days a week and resting once. Here's how it works out practically for me. So um, I'm a pastor. I work on Sundays. Some of you don't work on Sundays. I work on Sundays. I work on Monday. I work on Tuesday. I work on Wednesday. I work on Thursday. My Sabbath day, the day of rest that I carve out for myself, my pattern in my life is Friday. I'll get into why we can choose any day. You don't have to choose one day, but I choose Friday as my day of rest. So I don't work on Friday. I take Friday off. I try not to take phone calls. If any of you people text or call me, I probably won't respond to you very well on Friday. And then here's what I know as I go into work on Sunday. I have Saturday to get work done. And sometimes that's work I do for the church, but sometimes that's work around home. Sometimes that's paying my taxes or doing my bills. Sometimes that's organizing my home or sweeping out the garage. Because the biblical pattern is not 5-2. It's 6-1. And I want you to allow the scriptures to shape your view of work and rest rather than our culture. Here's how it continues in verse 10. It says, but on the seventh day, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So do you notice what the text did here? The text does this interesting thing where it says six days you're going to work and you're going to do all of your labor, but the seventh. Like in other words, there's six days, but then there's this different kind of day. And here's what I want to encourage you as you think about Sabbath, as you think about rest, as you think about the rhythm that God wants for your life. I want you to start to think about how you might set aside a day of your life that looks significantly different than all the other days of your life. 
Here's what I'm convinced of, um, and I know I'm speaking to a broad crowd of people here listening online, um, all different kinds of people, all different types of lives. Some of you work full-time, some of you don't work at all, some of you were in school, some of you got laid off during the pandemic, and you're like, how does this even apply? We'll get into that. But here's, here, it's totally different people here. But here's what I'm convinced of. Here's my observation. I think one of the greatest struggles for our generation is the fact that for some of you, and I'll speak boldly, that for some of you, the issue isn't that you work too hard or you don't rest enough. The issue isn't that you rest too much or not enough. The issue is that you're never really working while you're at work, and you're never really resting while you're at home. You're never really working, and you're never really resting. And so let me see if this sounds familiar to any of you. You're at work, or you're at school, or you're supposed to be studying, and rather than being at work and doing the job that you're paid or supposed to be doing, you're kind of on your phone on social media. And you're kind of looking at the score of last night's game. And you're kind of looking at a YouTube video, but then you're peeking around to see if your boss is coming to make sure that you can shut it off before she comes over. Like, that's not working while you're at work. Some of you are supposed to be studying, and rather than actually really diligently opening your books and studying, you're kind of looking at your phone, you're kind of studying, you're kind of working, and you're kind of not. And then the same thing is true for your rest. I think there are some of you who really do try to create days of rest, but it gets ruined because an email comes in. And you read the email. And then you go, I'll just respond to this one. And suddenly you're emailing all day or you're texting back and forth all day. Or it's your day of rest and suddenly you find some project that you want to do and you fill up your time with work and you're exhausted. You see, I think the problem for so many people um, is that you're never really working and you're never really resting. And according to the scriptures, there should be six days that look pretty similar where you're at work, where you're getting things done. But there should be this one day that looks really, really different. It's like, here's the way I put it to you tonight, that sort of working and sort of resting is the path, is a recipe for exhaustion and burnout. That's what I want you to know tonight, that you sort of working and sort of resting is not a path toward peace. It's not a path toward rhythm. It's not a path toward order in your life. You see, so often I hear people say that they're looking for rest. They're interested in rest. They really want to find rest. They're really trying to study up on rest. They're really trying to think about rest. They really want to seek rest because they're so busy. I think if I polled everyone here, I I don't know if this would shock any of you. There's no one here, very few people here probably, who would say they're not busy. Everyone says they're busy. Never been a person who's not busy. Ever met a person who's not busy? Everyone's busy all the time. Everyone's always busy. But I think the issue isn't that we're busy. I think the issue isn't that we work hard. I don't think the reason you're burnt out and tired is because you're working too hard. I think it's because you're always sort of working and sort of resting. And you have not created this rhythm of your life where there's six days where you work your tail off and one day where you choose to rest. And I want to invite you toward that. Not a sort of work and sort of rest, but a life that has diligent boundaries on it where you know if this is a rest day or a work day. Uh, I want to show you how it continues. It goes on this way in verse 10. It says, On this day, on the Sabbath, you shall not work Neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town. Verse 11, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. So I actually think, again, I talked about God creating the world in six days and then resting on the seventh. And I think this is one of these significant things of how God has built the fabric of the universe. Like God has built the universe and built your life in such a way that if you choose not to rest, you're going against the grain of what God has created. And I want to use this actually as an opportunity, looking at God creating the universe in six days and then resting on the seventh. I want to use it to answer the objection that I think some of you might have. Because I really believe we're all over the place here. I think there's different types of people, different types of inclinations toward work and rest. But I think there are some of you who are kind of wired like I am. 
So, so for my whole life, it's just been like drive and go and never stop and never rest. And like, I can rest when I'm dead, right? You ever said that? Like, I got to sleep when I'm dead. I'll just keep going until I die someday. And I think there's some of you who are wired that way. And if you're kind of wired that way, listen, I get you. I understand. There's this drive, this need to achieve, this need to get things done. And here was the objection I had for years when it came to Sabbath. I wonder if some of you have this objection. Can't I get more done if I don't rest? Like if I just work seven days a week, and maybe I only work like a part day the seventh day, but if I work seven days a week, won't I get more done? And here's how I want to answer that objection tonight. The God of the universe creates the world, everything in the universe in six days, and still finds it valuable for some mysterious reason to rest on the seventh. And our God is the God who has never stopped working, never stopped creating. And so here's what I want to put out to you tonight. And if you don't think this is true, I just want you to have the integrity and courage to wrestle with this statement. I believe you can get more work done in six days than you can in seven. I believe this. I believe you can get more work done in six days than you can in seven. And some of you might say, well, that's not really true. I could probably get more hours in if I had seven days. I think that could be true in the short run. But over the long run, you start to burn out. Over the long run, you start to have your body physically break down. I think the people who are inclined to work until you die are people who are very out of touch with the fact that you are not just a brain and a soul, you have a body. You have a physical body that needs rest and it needs food and it needs sleep and it needs times where you're not pushing it to the very limit. Your brain is the exact same way. I don't know if you know that. Your brain can't keep focusing and going all the time. It starts having diminishing returns so that rest and rhythm and routine and Sabbath aren't just nice suggestions. They're actually the way you move forward and be productive in this world. You can get more done in six days than you can in seven. Here's how it goes on in the back half of verse 11. It says, therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. So here's what I want to point out to you. I love that word blessed. Like, in other words, the Sabbath is not some burdensome command that you're supposed to follow. This isn't like, if you want to be a good Christian, make sure to rest. And you're like, okay, I guess. Like, it's a blessed day. It's a blessing. God gave you the Sabbath, not as some burden for you, but as a blessing for you. Like, let me put it this way, that rest is a rich blessing, but it's only a blessing available to those who want it. Like, I want you to think about that for a moment. Like God gave you this thing. He said Sabbath is this thing he built into the universe. He commands it for his Old Testament people to give us a picture of what it means for us to rest and trust in him and not work ourselves to death. It is a rich blessing, but only if you want it. And here's the wild thing. You can turn it down. You can decide it's not for you. Or you can do my favorite thing that we all do and say that might work for some other person, but it'll never work for me. I'm a student. I have multiple jobs. I have things to do. I have things I have to get done. That's a nice luxury that I'll have someday in my life, but it's not something available to me now. And listen, I've taught on Sabbath. I've talked to people about these issues. I've talked to single moms who are trying to work jobs and raise kids. I've talked to parents who are going, listen, I don't have Sabbath days because I got little ones who need me. I understand that. But here's what I want to tell you, that the Sabbath is a blessing that God extends to you. And the real thing that we can do is sometimes we can see this blessing that God wants to give to us and we can come up with all of the reasons why we don't actually want it. So let me speak to you if you're in that category tonight, who for some reason thinks Sabbath would never work for you. It would never work for you to stop working one day of the week. Here's what I want you to know. I think you can pull it off for a week. You might be able to pull it off for two weeks. You might even be able to pull it off for a little more, but after a while, it's going to start to wear on you. After a while, it's going to start to destroy your life. Like, let me put it this way. Um, 
I imagine there has been a day in your life where for some reason something happened and you failed to brush your teeth, okay? I'm going to imagine that has happened to you. Somehow, some way, you fell asleep, you woke up the next morning, you go, ooh, you know, like you just had that moment where you failed to do that. Do you know the glorious good news? That didn't destroy your teeth. If the next day you failed to brush your teeth, two days in a row, your teeth are probably okay, but your breath is starting to get gross. But if you went a couple weeks without it, if you want a couple months, if you just decided you were going to protest the dental hygiene industry, right, like the man, and you were going to never brush your teeth again, that would start to create problems, right? Like over the months and over the years, there would start to be rot in your teeth, and the person who would suffer is not the dental hygiene industry, and it's not someone else who told you, your mother, to brush your teeth. The person who would suffer is you. And the same is true with Sabbath. So, so listen, you may tell me my life is structured in such a way that I couldn't possibly take a Sabbath. And here's what I have to tell you. The only person who will suffer because of that is you. You will continue to suffer if you never rest. I don't know what that means. Maybe you need to peel back on a job, peel back on school, change it, take longer, do something. I don't know. I don't have an easy answer for you. And this is why I'm saying this isn't a commandment of if you don't obey this, you don't love Jesus and God hates you. This is not the case. But it's a gift that's extended to you. And the person who will continue to suffer if you neglect it and come up with all the excuses and justifications on why it doesn't apply to you, the person who will suffer the most is you. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to receive this blessing. The Sabbath is a blessed day. Rest is a blessed thing. It's a blessing for me to be able to say, God has done all of the good work that is needed for my salvation, and I get to rest one day a week. It is a gift. The scriptures are so clear. Jesus says that man was not made for the Sabbath. Like, in other words, you were not made to serve the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created. It was invented. It was made up in God's mind to serve you. The Sabbath was made for man. In other words, the Sabbath was a blessing and a gift to us. So here's how I want to end the night. I just want to try to be really practical here uh, and try to answer the question, how do you enjoy the blessing of Sabbath? Um, If if tonight you're just kind of sitting here going, you know, that's not the rhythm of my life. I currently rest sometimes, occasionally, maybe when I have time. Maybe you just don't have a rhythm in your life of Sabbath, and that's not a thing. I want to try to answer the question really practically. How do I take a Sabbath day? How do I make this a part of my life? How do I exchange my life from chaos into order, from noise into music, from from ruin into rhythm? How do I do that? I want to try to answer that question really practically. Here's the first one. How do you enjoy the blessing of Sabbath? Number one, work with focus and diligence six days of the week. Uh, again, I, I've talked about the pattern is 6-1, not 5-2. And I do want to challenge someone here. I don't know if there's anyone listening to the sound of my voice here in this courtyard or listening online who needs to understand that God has wired you for work. Work is not an optional thing. Work is not something you try to avoid. Work is not something that if you could just get out of your life, you would be happy. Everyone thinks that what they want to do is be sitting on a beach somewhere with a drink with an umbrella in it for the rest of their lives. Everyone thinks that's where the real life is. But then the people in life who actually accumulate the financial resources to do that, do that for about a week and then go, this is miserable. And they stop doing that because human beings are wired for work. And I'm telling you, if you are not working hard six days a week, you are missing out on the fullness of life that God has to offer you. I need to challenge some of you who don't struggle with rest, you struggle with work. And for some reason, you have this idea that if you can just avoid work, that's where real life is at. And that's not the case at all. Work hard six days a week. Listen, if you've been laid off during the pandemic, if you're unemployed right now, if you used to be in school and now you were formerly in school like, and you don't have anything going on right now, here's what I want you to do. I'm not joking about this at all. Create work. Find something to do. 
If you're like, I'm off on break for summer, no one's hiring because the world is falling apart, and I'm just sitting around all day, here's what you need to do. Learn a language. Learn an instrument. Learn something. Read something. Research something. Think about something. Do something helpful. Help your mom clean the dishes and deep clean the house. Do something. Because work is essential to who we are as human beings. And you were not designed to sit around and do nothing. Work hard six days a week. Here's the second step. Choose one consistent day of rest every week. So again, I told you it was Friday. For you, Friday might be a day of work. Maybe it's Saturday. Maybe it's Sunday. But you choose one day and you try to make it consistent. And there are going to be exceptions. There are going to be times it doesn't work out. There's going to be times you have to go do a project or your boss calls you in on a Saturday. I get that. But to choose one day a week means you have set it aside. You know it's going to be different. You know how that day is going to feel. And it's a part of your rhythm and your routine. If you're a shift worker, meaning you always schedule just random days, look at your calendar for the next week and try to fit in that Sabbath day. If you're going, I can't have a whole day, find a 12-hour block. Like start somewhere, but make it consistent. So we work hard six days. We choose one consistent day. And then here's how I like to describe rest on the Sabbath. You do the absolute minimum amount of work that is possible on your day of rest. Now, why don't I say do no work on your day of rest? Because I think that is a standard that becomes impossible for us. Because work can be defined so broadly that like you're in your kitchen and you're like, well, I want to make some pasta, but if I pour the pasta in, is that work, you know? Or you do, you make a meal and you eat your meal and then you're like, should I do the dishes? And you're like, no, I guess I'm not supposed to work. So tomorrow it is. Like, like, like that's the way it can happen. And you think of how absurd this really gets. Like, right? Like, like my children are like laying on the ground. They're like, daddy, I need a diaper change. I'm like, it's the Sabbath. You know, like that's not going to happen, right? And so what do I do? I try to do the absolute minimum amount of work possible. I try to say, listen, if I get a work email and I don't have to respond to it today, it's going to happen tomorrow. If on Friday there's an opportunity for me to go work on something, I try to boot it to the next day. If there's like, there's like cleaning a dish, right, which is like basic respect for the people you live with, but then there's like big projects around your house, save it to the next day. If I have bills to pay, I save it for the next day. That's what we do. We do the absolute minimum amount of work on that day. And you do so guiltlessly because that's how God designed the universe. And to some workaholic out there who's so proud of how busy and stressed out you are all the time, this is going to feel so foreign to you. And yet this is exactly what God is calling us toward. To have that one day where you do the absolute minimum amount of work. And then, okay, this is what we take away. We take away work. And then here's what we do. We decide to do things that will refresh you spiritually emotionally, mentally, and physically. And here's the key here. Figure out what refreshes you. Because here's what you need to know. There are things that refresh you that would not refresh me. There are things that refresh my soul, my heart, my mind that would not refresh you. There are big old theology books written by dead guys that I read and I just find so refreshing to my soul that you might find absolutely incomprehensible and stressful. Some of you work a job where, where you're working hard all week. You work in a store, you work on the floor, you work in construction, and you're always moving hard. Do you know what you probably need to do on that day, what rest for you is? It's probably a very long nap, right? Like, that's what you need. Some of you are like me. You work at a desk all week. You're just constantly sitting. That's all you do. Just sit and talk with people all week. You know what you probably need to do on that day? You probably need to work out. You need to go for a run. You need to do something physical, 
You just figure out, okay, what refreshes my soul? I'm going to spend time in the Word. I usually do 10 minutes. I'll make it 20 on my Sabbath day. I'm going to listen to worship music. I'm going to choose not to listen to anything but worship music, not because I'm being legalistic, but because I'm just trying to refresh my soul today. I'm going to spend more time in prayer. I'm going to read something that helps. I'm going to take this device and throw it in the pool. Like I'm going to do everything I can to stay away from things that stress me out, that worry me. Like you just make decisions on this is how I'm refreshed for this day. In all seriousness, I know people who do their Sabbath day and they just decide they're going to turn their phone off the whole time. It's not because they think that's the law and what they have to do to please God. They just know that this thing is a constant source of stress and anxiety in their life. And turning it off for one day has never once ended the world. Do you know that? You can turn this off for an entire day and everything's going to be okay. And so you do things that refresh you. Again, work out, stretch, take a run, read books, turn off your phone, be with friends, spend time with others. What if you just decided every Sabbath day, I'm going to bring other people into my home and I'm going to feed them a meal and just enjoy the relationship of people. That's what we do. Find things that refresh you physically. And then here's what I'd say. Um, final thing. Don't miss two weeks in a row. Don't miss two weeks in a row. Um, there are times in my own life, uh, you can imagine in ministry, where there are events that happen on Friday night. We do these high school things, Friday night lights, right? And so I go, my Sabbath day is Friday. You go, how does that work? Here's my answer. I try not to miss two weeks in a row. I know there are going to be times I'm on a mission trip or I'm at camp or something comes up or somehow I have to work on that day and something kind of robs that Sabbath. I just try not to miss two in a row. And if I do miss two in a row, I'm going to find another day. I'm going to take a Thursday off. I'm going to take a Saturday off. I'm going to move around my Sabbath because I don't want to get into a pattern where I justify working seven days a week for six months. And then I look up six months later and I'm anxious and overwhelmed and stressed out and melting down. I'm going to be the type of person who doesn't miss two weeks in a row. I'm going to be the type of person who builds this as a rhythm of my life. Not because it makes God love me. Not because it's the command that I have to follow or else God's going to smite me. But because it's a gift that God extends to me. And I want to receive that gift. And I don't want to imagine even for a moment that God is up in heaven going, yeah, you know what? Everyone else should take Sabbath, but that Brian Howard guy's pretty busy, so that doesn't apply to him. I don't want to live that way. And neither do you. Like, do you really have the hubris to believe that of all the people in the world, you can't take a day off? You are so important. Your life and your work is so significant that you couldn't possibly take a day off. In fact, I would say this, that if you think it is impossible for you to take a day off, if you think it is impossible for Sabbath to be built into your life, I would argue there is a much deeper issue than your schedule. The issue is your soul. The issue is how you see your God. Because the type of person who can take a Sabbath day off is the type of person who realizes that it is not your hand that keeps the world together. It's the hand of God. So here's what I need you to know. You do this, and then here's kind of where I want to close tonight. Um, I talked about rhythm. I talked about ruin. I talked about noise versus music, this kind of routine we build into our lives. And here's the final thing I'll say to you, that when you break the rule of Sabbath, when you break the rule of taking one day off a week, you, you break the rhythm of life. You, you break the rhythm that God has for you. You break the rhythm that God built into the universe. And, and to end here tonight, I don't have some emotional appeal. There's no crazy moment here. There's no big thing. Here's simply what it is tonight. I think there are some of you who don't build Sabbath into your life. I think there's some of you who are here and there's just never any difference between one day and another. Every day kind of looks the same. You don't have any intentionality. You've not built this into your world. And here's what I want to invite you toward tonight. I want you to receive the gift of Sabbath, to receive the gift of rest, to receive the gift that God gives you that foreshadows the eternal rest that you will have in heaven with Jesus. 
Uh, like, I think about it this way when I think about Sabbath. Um, just this last week, I was um, on vacation with my family. And, and while I was on vacation, um, Grandma was doling out treats to the kids. And so my mom starts to give out treats, and, and she has a, a Reese's peanut butter cup. And if you're an adult uh, 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 functioning in any way, you think Reese, Reese's peanut butter cups are like, like the best thing ever, right? And they are. I, I'm just not going to deny it. I've had many in my life, okay? I love a Reese's peanut butter cup. And, and so I take the Reese's peanut butter cup and I hand it to my two-year-old daughter and she looks at it and she breaks apart the cup. And I'm thinking, this is going to be good. She's going to see the peanut butter. She loves peanut butter, chocolate, best thing this side of heaven. Like, listen, she's going to love it. She looks at it, examines it, places it on the floor, and leaves it was a heartbreaking moment, okay? A heartbreaking moment. And here's why it was a heartbreaking moment. Because Reese's peanut butter cups are amazing. Reese's peanut butter cups are a blessing. God gave us the good blessing of Reese's peanut butter cups, and my daughter doesn't want anything to do with them. Now, here's why I'm upset. I'm not upset because I don't get to enjoy Reese's peanut butter cups. I enjoy that exact Reese's peanut butter cup that she left on the ground. But listen to me. I'm upset because she missed out on the blessing, right? It wasn't me who missed out on the blessing, it was her. The Reese's peanut butter cup wasn't for me, it was for her because she's my kid and I wanna do good things for her. Someone needs to hear tonight that the Sabbath is not for God, the Sabbath was made for you as a gift from your heavenly father who wants good things for you. And then further imagine this, imagine later on in life my daughter comes to this realization that I had offered her a Reese's peanut butter cup but she didn't receive the Reese's peanut butter cup. And imagine she starts to believe that because she did not receive the Reese's peanut butter cup, I no longer love her. That would be a bizarre and sad world, right? And my daughter was looking up at me and was like, Dad, I know you don't love me because I didn't receive the Reese's peanut butter cup. That would be shocking because I love her. She's my kid, nothing can change that. I'm crazy about this girl. See, ultimately, we're not made right before our Heavenly Father because we obey Sabbath. Sabbath isn't the way God makes us right before him. God has already declared you righteous, not by anything you've done, but by what Jesus has done. Jesus, who died on the cross, took a Sabbath in the grave and got up for your salvation. This is the good news of the gospel. You don't earn the Father's love. He lavishes it upon you in Christ Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel. And what you're simply invited to do is receive it. Receive the good gifts that your Father has for you. So that's the invitation for you tonight. I don't have a specific plan. I don't say like this week we're going to do this. I just want you to wrestle with that before your heavenly father. Because he has a good gift for you. And you can only receive it if you choose to receive it. And tonight, I hope some of you will. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for tonight. Thanks for Sabbath. Father, I just pray for the young man or woman here tonight who just feels like they're too busy, too stressed out, maybe even too important to take a Sabbath. God, would you humble them tonight? Father, I don't pray shame upon anyone. I pray wisdom upon us. I pray that we would be a people who try to understand how we can work rest and rhythm into our lives. Father, I pray for the young man who just feels overwhelmed with work right now. Father, may he find order in your good gift of Sabbath. I pray for the young lady right now who feels like she's controlling and trying to keep everyone else's lives afloat right now. I pray that one day a week she would give that up and trust that you're the one who holds the entire universe together. God, help us rest in you. Help us trust in you. God, when we don't understand Sabbath and when we don't understand rest, may we just simply declare that your way is better. Your way is higher. Your way is good for us. Help us receive that gift. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen.